Brothers and sisters, would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and if you're able, when you're ready, would you please stand in reverence for God's word, Philippians 4, verse 10. Here are now the very words of God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, You have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then would you turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, we're chipping away through this sermon of Solomon And we come to chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires yet God does not give him power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them this is vanity it is a grievous evil if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many But his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage is the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. 
and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Amen to the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading for the work of your Spirit. Each one you have brought here this morning, we are here for you, and we pray now that you would remove every single distraction, just help us to listen and to hear and to feed upon your word and changes that we would be like Christ. Do a work within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, Stevie, on paper, at least, is doing well. As you know from a couple of weeks ago, at least Susie and Sarah fancy him. Um, But dads, uh, you want Stevie to be your son-in-law. He is a good chap. All the men in the church admire him. The elders are always saying how Stevie is future elder material. He's humble, he's respectful, he's sensible, he's funny, and so forth. Stevie seems to have it all together. And you say, well, yeah, but what about, as you guys would say, under the hoods? Uh, What about under the hood? About Stevie's life is a mess. Well, actually, it's not. It's not a mess. Uh, There's no particularly scandalous sins in his life. All sin in one sense is scandalous, but there's no, you know what I mean, there's no particularly scandalous sins in his life. He's faithful at coming to the Lord's house. He has a good job. Uh, He's hospitable. He seeks to honor the fifth commandment. He plays the good kind of football and all of that stuff. Stevie on paper, is doing well. And you say, well, I bet I know what it is. He's not born again. You know, you can have your life in order, but if you're not born again, that's, that's the main thing. You need to be born from above. Nicodemus had it together. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless... A man is born again. You can't see the kingdom of God. That's true. You need to be born again. But the reality is Stevie is born again. And so he says, Rob, just tell us what is going on with Stevie. Well, I'll tell you, Stevie is utterly discontent. 
Stevie is utterly discontent. My first heading this morning is Consider Stevie. Uh, Let's consider Stevie. Uh, First of all, I want to say that there is no indication uh, that Stevie isn't a Christian. Uh, Frankly, I'm sort of tired of reading commentaries about Ecclesiastes that view this book as if you're a Christian, you're full, you're satisfied, everything's great. And if you're not a Christian, then, you know, your life's a mess and, and, you know, it's it's a complete waste and, and all of that. Now, you can think what you want about that, but that is not what Solomon is talking about in this sermon. The reality is it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. Sometimes life is like herd in the wind. There are frustrations. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Your life is fleeting. It will be over like that. Christians get their, their priorities out of whack. And so I say this. Solomon, this isn't an apologetic to atheists. It's good the atheists read it, but that's not, he's writing to God's covenant people. So let's just assume that Stevie is a Christian. What do we know about Stevie? Well, we know from verse 2 that he's wealthy, uh, that he's got lots of stuff, and that he has honor. Uh, He's like Solomon in chapter 2. Everything he wanted, he just set his eyes on it, he had it. He had everything he wanted. Uh, Verse 3, he goes on to have a hundred children and live many years. But the reality is that he just cannot enjoy God's blessings. He cannot enjoy God's blessings. Look at verse 2. God simply hasn't given him the power to. Literally the word there is... A cow to eat. He can eat of God's blessings. Verse 3, his soul isn't satisfied with life's good things. Verse 6, he can't see good. That's the word, uh, I think ESV translates it, enjoy, but it's literally he can't see good. God has put all these blessings right in front of his nose. And he just can't see them. Verse 7, he's like the person who eats and eats and eats and yet is not satisfied. Verse 9, he can't enjoy what's in front of him. His appetite, literally there the word is is nefesh. His soul wanders all these blessings. And yet it doesn't matter because his, his nefesh, his soul, is wandering away in the wilderness. In other words, Stevie is utterly discontent. And that's not a good thing. Shockingly, I think, Solomon says in verse 3 that a stillborn is better off than the discontent. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child 
is better off than he. At least, verse 5, the stillborn has rest. He or she doesn't have to have those decades of misery and discontent. And Solomon is saying here, someone who never saw the light of day is actually in a better, is better off than someone who lives 2,000 years, he says, with discontent. Now, I think Solomon is making his face a reality here, that we are sinners and we live in a sinful, fallen world. And I think all of us, I don't know if I can say this, but I think I can say this, all of us, to varying degrees, wrestle with discontentment. God created man to be content, to be content in him and to enjoy him. But Adam sinned. And we sinned with Adam and fell with him. And the fall brought mankind into the estate of sin and misery. It brought us to alienation from God. We were kicked out the Garden of Eden. It brought pain in childbirth. It made work a bother to us. It it, it ushered in all sorts of troubles as the sparks fly upwards, as Job says. And there's all these outward miseries, whether it's war or depravity or disease, whatever it is. But I think there's something else. I think there's an inward, an inward tendency to be dissatisfied, even if all, even if everything was right with the world. There's this inward discontent of the heart. Look at chapter two, verse twenty-two. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart? With which he toils beneath the sun, for all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. As sinners in a fallen world, we can say, I think, that all of us at least have a battle with, a wrestle against discontentment and and maybe that's you this morning you know that your life is blessed you know that you ought to be thankful but whether it's God's providences whether it's trials in your life or maybe you just can't put your finger on what it is maybe that's you maybe you're like Stevie this morning well, as my first heading, consider Stevie. Secondly, what's the solution? What's the solution? How can Stevie fix this? Now, I think that if we were to ask the world, how do you fix this? Then the answer would be more. Just more. More stuff. More self-indulgence. 
more home renovations, more sex, more education, more whatever, just more or different or more. Uh, and then, then you'll be content. Now we know Christians, and of course unbelievers know, or some unbelievers know that that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The first time ever, and probably the last time, I'm going to quote an American musician called John Mayer. And this is one of his songs. He says, he says I'm not alone. I wish I was, because then I'd know I was down, because I couldn't find a friend around to love me like they do right now. I'm dizzy from the shopping mall. I search for joy. I bought it all. It doesn't help the hunger pains. And then the chorus, something's missing. And I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing. And I don't know what it is. No, I don't know what it is at all. Now, unbelievers are not stupid. Or some unbelievers are not stupid. They know that there is a disconnect. They know that something's missing. And yet they also know they can go and buy a whole shopping mall and it won't help. It doesn't satisfy. That's not the response. So let's look at Solomon's response. First of all, I think there is an element here of we need to recognize reality. We need to recognize reality that as sinners in a fallen world, there is at the very least going to be a struggle with discontentment. We don't have to try to be content. I don't need to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to try and be discontent today. It's part of our fallen DNA. In a fallen world, discontentment, Solomon is saying, is a thing. And we say, well, what about Christians? We're redeemed from sin and misery. Well, you know, Christian, that there is a war going on inside of you. That the flesh is at war against the spirit. This battle going on with sin is at war. Your flesh, whether it's lust or whether it's pride or whether it's discontentment, there's this battle waging inside of you. A discontentment over your circumstances or God's gifts or your trials or your providence or whatever, you're still a work in progress, and there is a war, and we're not immune from discontentment. That's the reality. We are not immune from discontentment. Secondly, Solomon says that looking to stuff to fill us up, that's not the answer. We we looked at that in chapter 2. We looked to get that again in chapter 5, just looking to stuff. Uh, chapter 5, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Stuff doesn't satisfy. Don't try to squeeze from things what God hasn't designed them to give. He didn't design things to make you content, to make you whole, to make you complete as we've said for the last i don't know 10 weeks in a row 
Enjoy God's blessings. But enjoy them for what they are. Enjoy your toil. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Enjoy God's good, good, good things, but for what they are. Don't try and make them and squeeze from them what they're not designed to give you. So that's the second thing. First of all, the reality. Second of all, don't look to stuff to fill you up. But third of all, be encouraged that contentment is possible with God. Contentment is possible with God. God is the dispenser of contentment. And some people he withholds it from. You see that in verse 2. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. Sometimes God withholds the ability to enjoy his blessings. But sometimes he does give the gift of contentment. Look at chapter 5 verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. God gives the power to some to enjoy his gifts, to accept your lot, and to rejoice in your toil. To the extent, verse 20, that life zips by with a sort of joyful occupation. I think Solomon's teaches that we can have and we can grow in a God-given contentment. Now, let me just say four things about contentment this morning. Four things that the Bible teaches about contentment. First of all, I think we have to ask the question, what is contentment? We're talking about contentment. What, What does it actually mean? Is contentment just like an indifference to our circumstances? Is that what that means? Is it like uh, Doris Day, um, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. That's just, just whatever. Is contentment the absence of desire? What is contentment? Jeremiah Burroughs famously said this, listen to this, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let me say that again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, it's a frame of spirit that trusts in 
submits to and delights in God and God's providence. Second thing about contentment I want to say is again, it's not determined by our circumstances. It's not determined by our circumstances. That's why we read Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It's not, contentment is not determined by our circumstances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists out this catalogue of things. How he was stoned and shipwrecked. How he was beaten. Uh, how he was left to the exposure of the elements. How he had the burden of the churches and, and so forth. But then in the very next chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. In other words, Paul had a frame of spirit that trusts and submits to and delights in God and his providence irrespective of his circumstances. We need to realize that contentment is not founded upon favorable circumstances. Third thing I want to say about contentment is contentment is a gift from God. And yet, we have a responsibility to be content Solomon is clear, I think, in these chapters that God is the dispenser. And yet, is there not a responsibility on us for us to be content? What did Paul say in Philippians 4.11? He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I, I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. We have to learn to be content, we need to, to have our minds, to shape our minds to be content. You say this morning, Rob, I just can't do that by myself. I just can't conjure up contentment. I can't do that. No, either could Paul. In fact, he tells us in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The most misconstrued verse in the whole Bible. Yes, I have learned to be content. How? Through Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It must be in his strength. And therefore, we ought to ask him to help us to be content in every circumstance. Which brings us on to the fourth and final thing and that is that we have many reasons to be content many many reasons so that we can ask God to instill them deep deep down into our minds into our souls in order that we would be content 
We have many reasons to be content. We ought to ask God to instill them in us that by his grace, by his strength, we would be content. Let me give just six of them and then I'll close. First of all, God is sovereign. Is that not a reason, brothers and sisters, to be content this morning? That God is sovereign. That God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That makes all the difference. God is sovereign. With that, we can be content. I hope you won't mind me saying, someone was telling me Friday night at the men's camping trip, when his wife died, someone said to him that God permitted it. He just permitted it. And that's not true. God willed it. God is sovereign. And if God willed it, then there is a purpose and we can be content. Because God has a purpose behind it. There's contentment in knowing that God is sovereign. Two, God is not only sovereign, but God is for us. He is for us. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for his all, how will he not with him freely give his all things? God is for us. And I believe that if that really, really, truly permeated deep, deep down that God is for us, then by his grace, regardless of our circumstances, we would be content. Third, God will provide for all of our needs. God is sovereign, God is for us, and God will provide for all of our needs. He doesn't provide for all of our wants. I think it was Tim Keller that said something along the lines of, I can't remember what he said, it was along the lines of, the worst thing that could happen to us is that God gave us everything we wanted. He doesn't give us everything we want, praise God. But he does provide for all of our needs. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, it says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But then he says this, But if we have food and clothing with these we will be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and so forth. We can be content with God's providing for our needs. And so we should be, because he will provide for all of our needs. For God will never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't it interesting that the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And he doesn't stop there. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can be content. Why? Because God will never leave you nor forsake you. 
that was sufficient. For the author of Hebrews, that was sufficient. All you need to know, Christian, is God will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you and he is in you. And so you have reason enough to be content. Fifth, nearly done. God has given us a preoccupation. God has given us a preoccupation. I think sometimes people are discontent simply because they have too much time in their hands. I think Solomon even hints at this, uh, that a balanced activity, just getting on with your lot, being thankful for your station in life, and just getting on with it, helps keep discontentment at bay. And the fact of the matter is, Christian, we have work to do. We have work to do. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous Welsh preacher, said, if we want to feel as Paul felt, in other words, if we want to feel and be content, then we must live as Paul lived. How did Paul live? He says in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. We have a preoccupation. We're to live for Christ. We have work to do. There's no space. There's no room. There's no time for discontentment. We have kingdom work to do. We've got children to raise to the glory of God. We're to work heartily as unto the Lord Christ. We've got money to steward for the kingdom of God. We've got Christian businesses and health care and ministries and schools to build. We've got Lord's Days to come and worship. We've got Titus 2 ministries where we minister to our brothers and sisters. We've got prayer to offer. We, we, we've got hospitality. Paul says, seek to show hospitality. We've got all this stuff going on. We have a mission. We have a, a commission. We have a great commission. We don't have space. We don't have room for discontentment. And I think that Jesus has perhaps, this is, this is part of what Jesus is saying in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, where he says in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Don't worry about the other stuff. Don't be discontent. You just seek first the kingdom of God, and all that other stuff will sort itself out. We've got work to be getting on with, and then six, God will ultimately eradicate even the possibility of discontentment. God will eradicate even the possibility of discontentment. All of creation is groaning, if you like, for the end of discontentment and its coming. The glory that's going to be revealed in the last day is coming And is that not a cure for discontentment? If if God by his spirit ingrained that in us, impressed that upon us, 
that just round the corner will be heaven where there is no, not even the possibility of discontentment. Should not, that not change us? I wonder if you think about that, that heaven is simply round the corner, an eternal weight of glory, Paul says. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Heaven is round the corner. Jesus is round the corner. He's with us and he's in us now, but it won't be long till we see him. God is sovereign. God is for us. God provides all of our needs. God will never leave us nor forsake us. God has given us a job to do. And right round the corner... We will be with him, where there will not be discontentment. May the Lord Christ give Stevie, and may he give us the grace to know these things. And all the other thousand other blessings, our adoption as sons of God, our union with Christ and everything else, may, may he instill these things that there would it would put away all discontentment by his strength, by his power, by his grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have a thousand blessings in Jesus Christ. We, 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 have, we have no cause to be discontent with our lots in life, we are the children of God and dwelt by your spirit under your sovereign rule, headed to your eternal glory. And so we pray that you'd forgive us for our times of discontentment. We give you praise that you have been and are and will be at work with, within us, conforming us to Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us day by day be content, content with you and content with your providence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.